contemplative, 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 contemplative podcast. Hello, I'm Matt Emery and welcome to the Contemplative Classical Podcast. In this episode, I speak to talented pianist James Heather about composition and improvisation, early inspirations and experimenting with the piano, performing live, his thoughts on streaming services and his upcoming rework EP and lots more. You can also enjoy snippets of his music throughout the chat, including tracks Empire Sounds and She Came Home, Bad Role Model, Oises and this track, Last Minute Change of Heart, taken from his album Stories from Far Away on Piano. How did you get into composing and why the piano what what drew you into that and where did it all begin yeah okay well um my dad was a mega fan of music so just growing up as a young you know three four five there was always music playing in the house yeah all the time so he had quite a diverse taste of music he'd, he'd be listening to something like dead kennedy's or bb king or mozart um, and even when I got to about 11, 12, I had an older brother. He was listening to things like Super Discount and the FNAF compilation with Laurent Garnier on. So he wasn't totally hip, yeah. but he had his, he knew, he knew a few things, you know, about modern music or whatever. But he, what I took from him was a, a diverse taste. Yeah. You know, there's, um, there's good in nearly every genre. So, yeah. Um, so that was the early, the early influence, but probably the the biggest influence in terms of my particular style would be my grandparents, yeah. because my granddad was a pianist, not professionally as a hobby, but like a keen, yeah. keen hobby, 
and he actually met my gran playing the piano in Italy oh, wow. during the war. Like she was, I think, an, like a nurse of some sort during the war. That's amazing. And he was um, playing the piano in a hotel on an off night, and she came in, and that's how they sort of bonded. Wow, that's um, cool. Yeah, really cool. And and I think he's my biggest influence because from the age of 11, 12, I was also having practical lessons. Yeah. Which I took a lot from, um, you know, the, the skills of scales and <laughs> um, learning the, the classics of, of that age, you know, the usual sort of, the, the more simple Beethoven tracks yeah, and yeah. Mozart. And, you know, I learned from that and the theory, the theory grades. Was, yeah. but, um, so I did that for a while, but I really look forward in particular to my granddad's lessons because we used, he used to give me a weekly lesson. And, but what was interesting about him was he... I don't know where... I should really wish I'd asked him because I don't think I know, but he had a big love of composition. Like, and he knew about... Um, like, so say tonic is the, the main chord of a key. Yeah. He knew about, like, the subdominant, the dominant, and then which minor chords you can go to if you're playing in a major key and how to modulate into another key. Yeah. And I sort of found that fascinating because... Once you get the basics of that, it doesn't matter what key you're in, there are some rules that, yeah. that kind of work. And so, there's always a various amount of options, I suppose, that you can go to if you get stuck. Yeah, so way. say there's, for arguments, like, say there's, there's three main chords, but then there's a few, two or three sort of off chords, which kind of work as well. And then, yeah, that works in any key. And once you sort of get comfortable with that, then you can start improvising. Yeah. And then you can start learning how to, to change key, which seventh note to add to make makes a bit more jazz or whatever. Yeah. And and then you learn to sort of bend the rules, you know. Because my granddad was quite a stickler for, he didn't like, I'll get quite technical now, but like say consecutive fifths. So say you're playing fifths um, with one hand, so, um, so five tone difference yeah. between what you're playing. He wouldn't like it if you then went up to consecutively, like, so you're playing a fifth on the other notes. Okay, you yeah. You see what I yeah, mean? Yeah. It, it, I guess it does sound a bit basic when you do that. Yeah. And he, he's, he didn't like that. So I took that from that, like, okay, if you're going to move to another chord, just slightly, um, just, just slightly change it. It makes it more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, same with consecutive octaves. It's a bit... So, so early on, I was always thinking, how can I make this more interesting? But also, sometimes consecutive fifths work. Yeah. There are occasions. So you really, as an artist, you just got to do what you want, essentially. But some of these grounding rules do give you sort of a platform. Yeah. And then you can sort of, with confidence, bend them a bit. So that was a great influence. And I remember one particular day, he was... Um, he got really into taking his piano apart, like pretty much taking all the strings out and then restringing it. But he had this sort of sound frequency um, recorder yeah. and he'd be recording um, the frequencies on the strings wow. and changing like the temperament of a piano. So obviously, I mean, I am, I don't consider myself a music academic. Like I like to, I'm more comfortable just, more of a dreamer really, just improvising yeah. and, but. I like to take little bits of everything, so I don't know the, the minutiae of it, but, you know, essentially the Western scale 
is it 12 semitones in a scale? Yeah. Is, um, it's a bit forced, as in it's not totally equal. You yeah. think it's equal, but some of them are slightly stretched to fit into this Western yeah. tonality. Um, so he liked to sort of make it more natural. But with that, it didn't sound quite as good to our <laughs> Western ear. Yeah. But it was interesting. So I used to go around to his house to play the really piano. And it didn't, didn't sound as good as it could if it was just put back as a normal Western piano. Yeah. So I personally actually prefer the way it is in, in Western music because it just, it just sounds nice, those 12 semitones. But what it taught me is you can fuck with frequencies a bit. And obviously these days yeah. with, with obviously laptops now, you can distort things left, right and center yeah. and, and all of that. So, so that was a big influence on me. And then on the, the other side of my family, my granny used to come around like every Sunday or whatever for lunch and she used to like jump on the piano and like, she wasn't amazing, which it also taught me a really great DIY lesson that you don't have to be amazing. Yeah. Like a lot of heart in there. Yeah, a lot of heart in there, and she used to sort of sing a bit, and it was like that old nineteen forties vibe, singing and a bit Ooh. wailing and <laughs> and playing, and it was almost like Debussy, but not as polished. Yeah. But it was very sustained pedal down the whole time, playing all like, and it was all quite similar. Yeah. But I took something from I can definitely hear it in my sound to this day with the. I um, rely a lot on the sustain pedal. Yeah. Like a lot of the time, I'm merging all the chords into one sustain. Yeah. Um. So I took a lot from from that, I guess, as well. So those were the sort of early family. I'm sure there's more. Could yeah. go on forever. <laughs> Could go on forever. That's but, amazing um, to hear, though, because it's such a bore the listeners. <laughs> such a foundation to come from. Mm. You know what I mean? That's and you've got two completely sides yeah. of the spectrum there as well. And at the same time, my dad's mate was a, blue, a boogie woogie pianist. Yeah, blues, and I used to go around there to um, learn blues scales. And I'm only just bringing that into my music now, and I hope to bring that into future music. I do do it live more. Yeah, but. Um, the problem I found with that in the past, generally boogie woogie and blues, you don't use a sustain pedal as much. And it's obviously far, like, it can sound cheesy to my ears. So something I've been working on for years is a way to bring in that side of, it taught me technical skills, but how can I bring that into sort of my own compositions that I'm passionate about? Yeah. And I'm trying to bring that in now um, in a way that feels true to what I want to do yeah and also I think that maybe it's not being done in in you know for want of a better term the, the new classical scene or whatever yeah. I love it I love it all but um maybe it's it's gone quite minimal which I also love yeah but sometimes to write happy music and super technical music can be moving as well of course. But it's, it's kind of harder to do it. Yeah, to do it right and, yeah, as you say, without feeling, oh, God, that feels a bit cheesy. Yeah, to bring in some major chords but keep it on a deep emotional level is is a hard skill. I mean, yeah. to do it in minor keys is, is also, you know, hard. Yeah. But not as hard. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, I like, totally get that. So yeah. that's just some sort of creative thing I've been working on the last few years and I guess where you can hear it the most on my debut album is Empire Sounds, but it's not really like fully there, but you can definitely hear a more um, 
jazz thing in there. Yeah. Um, but mostly it was a nod to my classical influences, that album, and that's just one side of who I am, I think, so, yeah. certain pattern or something that you do or is it have you got like a, a load of things going on at once or how, how yeah. do you come up with something and, and then finish it if you know what I mean by that um, how do I come up with something I, I mean I can remember one of I think I was rejected by a girl that I asked out you know, something like that. I can't remember the exact situation. I was about 14 or 15 or 16 or something like that. And, you know, like one of those early experiences of, oh, she doesn't fancy me as well. Like, so, <laughs> so I like, I went, I remember going home and I sort of wrote like a ballad about it or something, you know, probably a shit. But like, but I do remember like the connection I felt to the song thinking, actually, this is a good way to deal with a situation. Yeah. And I, I feel there's some depth of it to me. And, and then from then it just became a bit of an, an addiction, just like dealing with every situation in life, trying yeah. to put that onto a piano. So you, like then, a way of almost channeling your emotions. Channeling, something. Yeah, yeah, channeling it. Um, and then just literally just tweaking it and tweaking it. And over the years and, um, but an actual like, no, I don't, to answer your question more fully, like, I, I don't have, like, a set system. Yeah. So, like, um, rules I limit myself to, but essentially um, it's me sitting on a, on a piano and Im improvising. Yeah. And I guess one rule I live by is each song can't be similar to the one I've done in the past, so it's got to have a change in key or vibe or... 
um, pacing or I, I kind of want every song that I feel I've learned a new skill in it and that could be something as simple as something as simple as oh I've used the bottom octave of the piano I've never used that before yeah or it could be a very complicated timing thing or it could be adding a new jazz chord into a classical framework and thinking, I've not done that before so yeah so it, it's more and also possibly in instrumental music it sometimes isn't about something so yeah. I'm really although it might be I don't know that for sure but with me for sure I like to I find it very hard just to play the piano for piano's sake so I, I almost go into a state in my brain where I'm channeling it could be a personal thing yeah. or it could be as in the debut album and a new story that it happened yeah um and i feel dishonest to myself as an artist if i've got to the end of the song and i'm still not thinking about that exact thing that i yeah. started if that makes sense yeah no that's totally so sense. if i can do a song which brings in some originality in some way as a progression for me and also rings true from start to finish that in my brain i'm still locked into the theme yeah then but I don't like to put that too much on the listener so I don't sort of tell people that much what a particular song is about because they should take what they need from it yeah everyone's going to interpret or have their own yeah in their head of what so sometimes I do like live or whatever just to so you can talk to the crowd a bit I think sometimes it's nice to hear from an artist's perspective like I was thinking this or you know it does give a bit more depth to the story and then yeah. Sometimes it's interesting when if you've heard something on record and then someone says yeah. actually it's about this and then it's well it's like reading a book isn't it and then finding out that the writers how they view a character or something is completely different to what you imagined but at the same time it's really nice. Yeah, I personally like to hear these stories. Me too. Like personally, but I do think some people want to go to a a gig with this style of music and they just want to listen. Yeah. A lot and so talking could be kept more to a minimum possibly so yeah cool <laughs> um it'd be lovely to talk about some of the records and maybe artists that have inspired you along the way is there anyone that sticks out to you or any records that yeah. kind of stick out to you that are, are you really... talking about sort of back in the day like influence type stuff yeah, or anything, like more yeah. what's around now or a bit of both really so yeah. well that that was my next question of is there anything yeah, you know, yeah. that you interest so let's let's merge them both together okay. is there anything of the past that you feel that's really had obviously we've touched about this at the very yeah. beginning of the interview but yeah are there any records or artists that have really inspired you yeah, yeah for past sure and present yeah for sure like i'd i'd love to hear an artist who literally wasn't influenced by anything That'd be so interesting. Yeah. But, like, it's almost impossible. <laughs> and I think that you just have to have a healthy distance from it. So, like, when you come to create, you just, you have to be you. Yeah. But, obviously, we all love art, you know. So, it would be silly not to listen to, you know, how can I not listen to the latest Nils Rahm or Match Ritter record? Yeah. You know, because it's been made. I want to hear it. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Equally, let Siren go by. Um, but but equally, I I don't want to listen to it too much, especially when you're making when you're in the creative zone yourself. You, you do need to keep that distance. So, but yeah, going back to early early influences, 
so on the less cool side, um, I think some music my dad used to put on in the car, which you can't probably hear my music at all, but it definitely gave me a sense of melody. And it, like artists like Prefab throughout Tanita Sakaram. Yeah. Don't know if you know, it's like, it's quite 80s and over produced with the synths. Everyone started using these synths that weren't that good. And, but yeah, it, I guess it's not, they're not cool names to drop as such. And, and you, but it definitely gave me a sense of, I think as a young child, melody is so important. You know, that's one of the first things you lock into. Of course, yeah. So, um, you know, you're not really listening to the latest drone record when you're five. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> but, um, so that they were good. But more obvious influences, I guess, was my dad subscribed me to the Great Composer magazine every month, I think it came out. He used to run to the newsagent. I had, like, the binder for it. Awesome. Like, got, like, four binders full of it. And that was, had their life stories in it as well as the technical stories of those artists. So, you know, all the classics, you know, yeah. Bach, Beethoven, Mozart. So, so Beethoven was a big influence. His um, dynamics from quiet to loud, yeah. which I can hear. And then obviously I got into like Nirvana and Pixies and they're doing the same thing. Yeah. Quiet, loud, quiet. So Debussy and Sati, you know, that more, you know, these are sort of Ravel. These are, to me, the original jazz artists. You know, they, to me, they invented jazz. Yeah. But then you hear Bach in the 16th century, like one of his Toccatas, and that goes off on a mad, <laughs> mad improv, you know, in that 16th century. So these are, these are influences. Um, my next door neighbor had a pirate radio station. He was six years older than me. So when I was like 12, he was 18, and he'd be like pumping out like analog bubble bath by Aphex Twin. Yeah. I'd be like sat in my garden listening in, thinking, oh, that's cool. Like, that's cool what they're doing there. Like, so that, that was an influence. And then I started, a couple of years later, I'd be hanging out with them a lot. And like, would even buy like Gravedigger's records and early Fuji's. And I think I just liked raw music, irrespective of genre. Yeah. So if it just felt like it was a, a singular vision. To me, the genre was irrelevant. Like, it could be um, the most beautiful solo piano piece, or it could be like the hardest punk song. Like, it's just linking in that is, is this sort of un, unfiltered? Yeah. Or, or whatever, so I, lo I looked to that. Same with pop music, you know, if it's done in a way that's honest <laughs> yeah if that person loves pop music they've grown up with it and they're trying to do something new to it that's also brilliant of course I don't listen to it as much personally yeah. but nothing yeah. against it you know so yeah, yeah those, are, those are some of the, the the early influences and I think when I write when I wrote this latest album it's, I guess it's classical yeah. but I'm not really thinking of classical when I'm writing it like I'm more listening, before I stepped to the piano, I might have been listening to a day's worth of um, electronic music. So I think that's where some of the loops come from and and so, and so jazz as well. So I'd be very surprised not, if, if, if artists did say, though, oh, I'm a classical artist, I've got to make sure that I write a classical mm. track. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that's coming to the piano, you just want to write a track. You don't, yeah. you don't think about what genre, you're just writing yeah. what you enjoy and... 
feels good to you, I suppose. I, yeah, I hope so. I think it's not a world I, I fully went into, but the, the, the classical world when you go to uni and you, you and you're playing a lot of the early you know you're doing recitals and stuff it is maybe a bit stifling to your own creativity yeah like so that's why I steer cleared of it a bit nothing against people who do that at all but yeah I just wanted to to not be in one world I guess yeah and yeah, I had to wait a long time to sort of find my way out into an audience. But um, I'm glad I did it the way I did. Yeah. And, you know, side of things yeah. obviously you've played some great shows in the past year or so mm-hmm. um, do you enjoy that part and you know can you tell us a bit more about what where you have played and what you've done yeah obviously I saw you at St Pancras with uh, also having Iskra Strings join you on stage as well yeah um, which was amazing oh thank um, you so much yeah but yeah could you thank tell you. us a bit more about the live side of things yeah um, it was I mean to be brutally honest before I because I it's only been 18 months since my first track came out. Like, onto an official, like, digital platform or, or physical or whatever. So, before that, I didn't push to play live because... What, a few reasons. One, I didn't know if anyone would want that. Two, my sort of music is quite a not in a bad way, but a lonely experience. Like, it's quite insular. Like, my music so far, like, over the 20, 30 years of doing it, it's like a... It's like if you someone went to do their meditation or something, it's like quite a... Yeah. And it's only now I'm realising that a few people like it, and then I'm thinking, oh, it's a powerful way to connect with people, and then that... So then your, your, own, your own art evolves, and that's yeah. part of the live experience. It's not really about you. You're connecting with people, and... It's a brilliant thing, but 
so now I know I can do live shows. Like I've only done sort of 12, 13. So it, it's, it's great and it will give me more confidence and it will change my art in a good yeah. way. Yeah. So, but before that, I, I didn't push for it so much. Like I'm actually, I'm confident in my compositions at home, but there is a shyness about me, which I'm learning to overcome. But, um, and I think it goes back to the, the beginning when I first started playing the piano. Like, you have friends and family around and there'd be a piano in my front room and I'd just play along in the background. Yeah. Almost like a pianist in a bar or something. Like, and I'd play at a certain quietness because I didn't want to annoy anyone's conversation. So I just played, so that's how I sort of did it. And, and then a few people started saying, oh, I like that, I like that. And, and, it, and it, it went from there. But um, initially I was just more comfortable with like that. I don't mean background in a kind of, really middle of the road sort of way. Yeah. But just playing with sort of the conventions of being in the background, but also gradually subconsciously piquing someone's interest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But not in a way that's annoying them, but it's subtly. And there, there's probably something in that, and that's how it worked for me. Yeah. But as soon as I started playing live, I loved it. Um, and then I've gradually been evolving the set. So the first set I did was like literally my first single came out and I got a, a random message from a promoter in Poland saying, oh, I want to book you for my festival and Johan Johansson was playing it. Um, he's much missed and lots of other artists within that scene and I was opening on a, like a grand piano in a beautiful um, uh, museum building in Gdansk, you know, like a Barbican vibe. Yeah. And that's my first ever show. <laughs> like I'd done, um, done a Sofa Sounds before. Um, and I'd done a little thing at Glastonbury on a charity stage on a yeah. USB keyboard with no one knew who I was playing, really. <laughs> like I had these a, people swaying a, in front with flowers around their head, like wasted. And yeah. like, but so that's my, my first proper show wow. was, was Poland. And, and, you know, I made a couple of minor mistakes, but I, sticked, I stuck very rigidly to... The, um, the songs, like the original compositions, yeah. because, you know, it's my first show. So what I've gradually been doing over the 12, 13 shows I've done is like doing little intros, outros, like having parts of the set which allow improvisation. Yeah. So I was reading this term recently, called, I think it's allotrochic, allotrochic composition. And basically what it means is um, leaving an element to chance. So you have like a some sort of set rhythm or notes on one hand and then the other hand you basically do what the hell you want yeah and so because i come from more of an improvisational background i've quite liked putting parts of that into my set not for too long but um yeah and having these these i guess it's like jazz improvisation yeah but on a theme so there's only a certain set amount of ways you can go otherwise it just goes a bit too random yeah so to bring that into my set now has been interesting because it feels quite honest to what i used to do when i was a kid yeah um yeah and there's been some every show has been great in its own way you know like i'm sure touch wood there'd never be a bad one <laughs> but one day there might be one which is you know the piano breaks or there's no one in the room or whatever like yeah but they've all been good in their own way either or 
really nice support slot I've been asked to do. So it's Lubli and Melianek on a red tape. Yeah. And uh, Laura Marling. And, you know, I like singing songwriting music and I feel comfortable going between those worlds and I'd love to support something really electronic as well. But So doing those support slots and then the headlines, Old St. Pancras Church, which, yeah. which I know you played yeah. as well. Yeah. That was a, 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 it's be- a lovely space. A lovely space. Yeah. So that was good. I did Servants Jazz Quarters and then I did a few festivals this year. So Wilderness. Yeah. So playing an act, playing my style of music as it currently is, is interesting at a festival because obviously like I was being drowned out by Noel Rogers <laughs> um, sound checking. Yeah. And I'm, and then I remember at Glastonbury, I was drowned out by Shaggy singing Oh Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then when you're playing this sort of more intimate music or whatever but what I've learning to do for festivals I also did uh, Sea Change this year which yeah, is amazing I really wanted to get down to that amazing festival away, by Drift Records done for all the right reasons but um, yeah for the outdoor shows like you do them because it's a challenge because to take this particular style of music to a festival isn't normal for that environment it's more for concert halls yes so I've enjoyed the challenge because you have to work on your stage presence. And also I, I do a different set list. So I bring in some slightly faster songs, yeah. slightly, slightly more upbeat. And because the, more, the ones you think are amazing are a bit more stripped back, just won't translate as well in that environment. Yeah, I suppose so. if, if you have got Shaggy trying to yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the background, I suppose it is, makes it a bit easier to cut yeah. across sometimes if you're playing something. And all this stuff's going on around you. Like, um, and you just have to just not be put off by it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've loved it and I want to keep pushing it on. And I did the strings recently um, with, with Iska Strings. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's something that you're going to sort of delve into? Or is that more just for like a one-off? Yeah, well, I've just actually gone back to six of my tracks and done full string quartet compositions. Oh, amazing. Like four players and just, just getting them mastered at the moment. So, um, yeah, step by step, isn't it? Like, I've obviously got a lot of influences and, um, you know, I do know my way around Ableton and a lot of electronic stuff, but if it's right, it will start to come into my music. Yeah. If it doesn't feel right, then solo piano is something that's always been with me since the start. And so, you know, I can keep keep doing that. But yeah. I don't... Hopefully I'm not one of these people who's trying to throw everything at it and show, I like this genre, this genre, this genre, so I must have something from every genre. Throw it all in there. And, you know, you've got to be a bit patient. Bring things in gradually when it feels right, rather than trying to show that I like it, like, you know, so, yeah. yeah.
Spotify because on yeah. Spotify, you know, your listening stats are phenomenal. They, they are, you know, you've had millions and millions of plays. Um, yeah, does that, do you feel that's helped in any way? Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that's really helped get your music out to, well, obviously it has because yeah. of the amount of people that have listened to your track, mm-hmm. but do you think it's helped in other ways as well in terms of? getting out to play or certain gigs yeah. or things like that do you think it yeah it has helped yeah I mean first of all um it's you know 16 months ago I never put a track out you know I'd just been composing for 20 years putting the odd thing on SoundCloud and just so just to have music come out um officially and then the streaming services like Apple have also supported and Deezer yeah. and like it's obviously a great thing and I personally even before my music came out, I love streaming services. Like I'm addicted to making playlists yeah. and sharing playlists with friends. So I also love physical format, you know, and I love Drift Records, who I recently was hanging out with at the festival. And I love passion for music. And I like, however people want to consume it, it's good as me, as long as they're um, doing right by the labels yeah. who are taking but one of the few things these days taking chances on art. So I like the labels. Um, I like the streaming services when they work with the labels and um, which, you know, it's all, it's all things are going in, in the right direction. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'm not a, a music business expert, but that they, they, for me, they've done great stuff to, to reinvigorate people's music interest. Yeah. And then from that, people will buy more vinyl, and it can all it can all go up together. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan of big big fan of it all. And then for uh, go, going back to your question, yeah, it's it's gone well for me so far on on the services. Yeah. Um, which is brilliant, and I think that might make a few people okay. We'll take a chance on this booking. Yeah. Or. You know, it's good for the label to, to see that, of course. Um, I think it's with all these things, as long as your art, you, you just keep doing what's true to to you with or without industry support. You know, it's great if it comes, but you can't, I don't like to change what I do personally. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm fortunate that something I've done since I was 11 or 12 playing the piano and is, is, is one of the oldest parts of me is a, is a genre that people like on the streaming services because of um, playlist culture. Yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, it's just, but I'd be doing it anyway, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but it's obviously, it's a great thing because I'm 38 now. So to have this sort of lease of life for my music is, is, is brilliant. And I'm very thankful for everyone who's, who supported it. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, two more questions. One was collaborations. Um, I see that you have done some collaborations over the last um, few years. Dawn Richard, Mum Dance and um, Roger Robinson. Yes. Yeah, I just wondered how yeah. that came about. And is that, do you find that sort of a bit different? when you're working with a collaboration, have they sort of come to you or how yeah. is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've done a few. I'd, I'd like to do, I'm open, I'm open to doing, to doing more. Um, the Mum Dance one, that was brilliant because Tom Lee of um, 
local action records. I'd known him a while and he randomly just got in touch. He'd heard one of my SoundClouds, this is before I'd even had a track out. Yeah. He was just, he just heard a, he'd played it to Mum Dance. So it, it was great. I went down to the studio um, and just laid down all the parts. They used it as the, the grand piano outro to the track in the end. So um, it's all experience, isn't it? Yeah. Like, obviously, I, it wasn't my chords. Yeah. But I, 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 I love doing that. And the Roger Robinson is, um, is, is part of my day job that I've had so far. Yeah. I've worked with Roger. I've actually promoted him as an artist for King Midas Sound. So, and I love his um, integrity as an artist. And um, I wanted a spoken word musician for my London show. So I hit him up, gave him a few of my more stripped back songs, which would be easier to put vocal on top. Yeah. And he wanted to do something that he had written about the Grenfell disaster. It was so emotional watching that live. Yeah. Actually, my girlfriend was with me and was just like, whoa, that one really hit home. It's just... uh, Oh, that's really interesting. Very, you know, powerful that was. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I want to bring more of that into what I do. Um, So we'll see see how it goes. But it it was great working, working with him. You know, I love instrumental music and I'll probably predominantly stay that sort of musician, but I think the odd the odd curveball yeah. is 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 good and I'm uh, yeah, I'm always sort of throwing a few things to friends who are making things and or like artists I've met and they don't always come off or it's not it's just experiments here yeah. and there. So yeah, you might you might be hearing more about it. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. And the last last thing I'd like yeah. to ask is what what comes next? What have you got planned for? I suppose going into two thousand nineteen. Yeah. So, um, like to round off the we haven't got the exact release date yet. It could be end of this year. It could be start of next. But um, I have a like a remix album, uh, reworks sort of rather than remix because it's not really like you know doing body moves on a dance floor <laughs> sort of thing but like it's a little bit more experimental or whatever but um yeah I've just asked some artists to like reinterpret my tunes amazing so um from the EP and the because the EP and album were kind of from the same artistic world yeah so like, I see they're quite connected so I, I let them choose from those 15 tracks and yeah, I've got some good names. So uh, I've got Mary Lattimore. Oh yeah. Um, she's a brilliant harpist who experiments um, with a lot of looping electronics. So she's she's done a tune, Sarah Davachi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, she's had a few brilliant albums out this year, and she's getting a lot of a lot of love. Um, Chihai Hatakiyama. He's a Japanese ambient artist, quite prolific. I know um, Sakamoto recently put him in his restaurant playlist he did. Oh, wicked, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, it's so ambient, but lots of layers of guitar and textures and you just are washed in this sea of lovely, lush noise, like, builds up. So he's done a version. Chihai Hatakiyama. Um, I don't know if that's that pronunciation. <laughs> um, also, Echo Collective. Wow, yeah. So, Echo Collective, I first saw them as the band for Johan Johansson. And they obviously pushed the 
traditional instrumentation to new worlds. So they've done something. Um, DJ Seinfeld. So he obviously on his debut album is a lot of piano and melancholy and stuff, and I felt that he could he could do something. So um, an artist called Apard. Yeah. Out of um, I think Germany. Yeah. Um, sort of more minimal techno or whatever um he's done something i'm trying to think if i've missed anyone out and i've also i might put some of my string versions on as well cool that sounds like a lovely yeah lovely little release yeah it's got to sequence it correctly (laughs) like the thing with these projects is you know they're coming from eight different areas yeah so you just gotta so yeah that's coming up and also just looking forward to you know, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, like year and a half, like of first ever release, and oh, my dad died as well. Like in the week I put out the first single, like my dad, I was next to my dad's um, bed where he was spending his final days, and I was having to answer these, like the first email I got about the Poland gig, and all my, um, like the first when I first put the tracks out, and people were contacting me about doing different stuff like I was actually like caring for my dad and that obviously took the next year of like caring for him then sorting stuff out and then yeah. having to deal with uh the music and also had a day job um it's been quite hectic and then so having to do live for the first on. time yeah. so I think I'm looking forward to maybe giving myself a month or two where it's not all about um like furthering my own career like not that I don't want to do that but just just taking a breather like putting the, the last brilliant in terms of music 18 months to bed and then like working some sketches I've been doing um hopefully building uh, some sort of studio of my, for myself and learning more on the electronic side and um like self-production and yeah, just trying to make the next album better than, than the last. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you ever so much for taking the time out. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers.